Russia has invaded Ukraine. Vladimir Putin has put Russia's nuclear forces on alert. 40 million Ukrainians are in peril, including over 100,000 Jews. And the whole world is on edge. What should we, Torah Jews, be thinking and doing? I'm Scott Kahn, and this is the Orthodox Conundrum. This is the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. The war in Ukraine is dominating the news, and we Orthodox Jews need to know how to respond. For that reason, I asked two dear friends, Rav Judah Michel and Rav Yona Bookstein, to offer a spiritual response to the events in Ukraine. We'll get to that in just a moment. First, please subscribe to the Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please like the Orthodox Conundrum page on Facebook and join and participate in the Orthodox Conundrum discussion group on Facebook. We have some fantastic discussions there, so check it out today. I'd also like to ask you to become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast, and you can get bonus episodes, JCH merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are only available to subscribers, and you'll be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, and honest orthodoxy. It's just a few dollars a month, and you can cancel at any time. We're looking forward to your joining the Jewish Coffeehouse team. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to reach hundreds or even thousands of listeners? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffeehouse can make it happen. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in one day, or record and relax and let us do the heavy lifting, JCH Productions will work with you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let us help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jchpodcast.com, that's jchpodcast.com, to learn more and to sign up for a free consultation. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage your audience today. I was honored to ask both Rav Judah Michel and Rav Yoda Buchstein to give me their thoughts about Ukraine, not from a geopolitical or military standpoint, but from their perspectives as rabbis and thinkers. First, I spoke with Rav Judah, the executive director of Camp Hask, the mashpia of OUNCSY, and the founder of Tzama Nafshi. After that, I spoke with Rav Yona, the rabbi of Pico Shul, founder and director of Shabbat Tent, someone who's been involved in outreach over the past 25 years and spent a significant amount of time in Eastern Europe. Rav Judah Michel, thank you once again for joining me on the Orthodox Conundrum podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, mazel tov. Thank you. And as you know, at the same time that Aliza and I are experiencing this tremendous simcha, our daughter Tali married Shai Sultan on Wednesday, such an amazing day, the world is going through an upheaval now. And it's a very difficult time. And I'm going to ask you a difficult question. And I don't think that we necessarily have an easy rule book for it, because I want to discuss our responsibility as Jews, Jews committed to the Torah, what we should be doing about the war in Ukraine. Now, let me be clear, I'm not asking you for geopolitical opinions here. I'm not asking for political expertise. I'm not asking for military advice. Instead, I'm approaching you, Rav Judah, looking at you as a spiritual Jew, as a Torah Jew, as someone who thinks about these matters, in order to get a tefisa, a grasp on how we as Torah Jews should approach the situation in Ukraine. I know that's a very big question, but what are your thoughts? I appreciate that. You said I'm not an expert. I'm definitely not an expert. I wouldn't call myself an expert on spirituality also, or either, but I am an expert at trying to figure these things out to myself, trying to navigate 
you know, the complex emotions. You mentioned your wedding, Tali's wedding. You know, the, 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 the Jewish heart and the human capacity to maintain different types of emotions at the same time. A dialectic, complicated emotions, complex emotions to balance. You know, like the Zohar says, you know, there's this heartbreak and pain on one side, sadness on one side, and rejoicing and, and exultation on the other. We broke a glass at, uh, at the wedding, at the height of your personal joy. So a little bit that's what, I mean, we're trying to live with over here is, you know, we're living our lives, we're going through our day-to-day. And I don't know that in our lifetime, there's been such a situation outside of the land of Israel where... And we've certainly seen wars and we've certainly seen uh, aggression and we've certainly seen oppression and we've certainly seen invasion and we've certainly seen terrible tragedy on a, on, on a massive scale in our lifetime. But don't remember, at least don't, not aware of this idea, at least from a Jewish perspective, from our own brothers and sisters um, beyond the human level of a few hundred thousand Jews who are stuck in the, in the, in the crossfire and the crosshairs. Um, who are turned into refugees, who are fleeing, um, who are in danger. I don't know that, that we've ever experienced this before. And, and when we stop to think about it, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's shocking and it's heartbreaking and it's, uh, it makes it, I mean, you have to stop and, and, and uh, I mean, on a basic level, just feel for what's going on and be aware of what's happening. Um, it's, it's, it's a wild thing that's happening right before our eyes. I don't know that such things ever happened before for us in our lives. Yeah, this kind of feels like something from out of the 1930s when countries invaded other countries with little or no pretext, simply naked aggression because they could, no one was going to stop them. Obviously, we've seen, as you said, aggression in our lifetimes, for example, Saddam Hussein invading Kuwait in 1990. A lot of us who have roots in Europe, the Ashkenazi world, we felt that this is finished. We thought that this was something which Europe had already passed and was relegated to ancient history, was no longer a relevant concern. Apparently not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we thought we thought we were after the war, and and just the, the the names of the places also really conjure up a certain collective consciousness and almost collective trauma. At least for me, you know, my my family comes from part of that region, and the rich Jewish history in in the Ukraine and and Russia and and the, that shifting border throughout generations. Um, it's a it's a glorious history of tzaddikim, of of sages, of of contributors to Jewish knowledge and wisdom from from across the spectrum it's also a, a very brutal history a very bloody history pogroms you know, yeah. and suffering and um you know i, I mean but the, the hearing the names and seeing the images and, uh, of these cities and these places again uh, right in front of our eyes i mean i was in ukraine five weeks ago four and a half really? weeks ago went with, yeah, went with, our, with our with our son um we were in uman and breslov and um you know we landed in kiev and you know, it, it's a, there's a familiarity. There's a familiarity, even if not in a, in a, in a modern way, in a contemporary way, um, certainly in a, in, a, in a recent, you know, historically. Can you talk a little bit about that, about some of the Jewish connections in recent history that are related to Ukraine? I mean, the biggest, the biggest Jewish gathering in the diaspora every single year takes place not in Manhattan and not in Crown Heights and, uh, and not in Teaneck and not in Los Angeles. It takes place in Oman. In a Ukrainian city, in Oman, tens and tens and tens of thousands of Jews from every type of walk of life, Sephardic, Ashkenazic, uh, Hebrew speakers, Yiddish speakers, English speakers, and every language in between, from all over the world, gather together 
to as a uh, you know to, to make a pilgrimage to the gravesite of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, the great grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement, who also was from Ukraine in, in Mezhbaz, just a couple hours away from there, to fulfill his last will and testament, which was to be together with him on Rosh Hashanah. And however one feels about that or identifies with that or not, just to understand, beyond Lagba Omer and Meron in northern Israel, there's no larger gathering and celebration of Yiddishkeit um, in, in the world today than what takes place annually in Ukraine. And across the Ukraine, across Ukraine, I think that's probably a more politically correct way to say Ukraine as opposed to the Ukraine, which implies that it's the Ukrainian province or the Ukrainian area of the Russian Soviet Empire. Um, Across Ukraine, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of Jewish centers. I mean, there's a, there's a couple of hundred Chabad Shluchim serving hundreds of thousands of Jews. In, in, and, and there's a thriving, reborn Jewish life in that, you know, once Ukraine became independent, there's been a, a resurgence of Jewish life there. And anybody who's gone to Uman Rosh Hashanah or in previous years gone Baderach, gone on in the footsteps of Tzadikim and visited you know, um, so many places uh, that 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 uh, that host Jews to, you know, to, to daven and to kind of walk in those footsteps of the righteous there in Ukraine in recent years. It's it's wild to see a place that you know, is so familiar um, be under such attack and, and and be suffering in such a way. I want to reference something you mentioned before. You said it's a glorious history, but it's also a very painful history. Talking about pogroms. And in fact, I'm going to quote Alison Josephs of Jew in the City. She put up a post on Facebook, which I thought was interesting. I'm just going to read it to you and see what you think about this. She wrote, Praying for the innocent people of Ukraine, though, as a Jew whose family was expelled to and then from Ukraine, I don't have the best associations with it. I don't even know how long my family was there because Jewish records were destroyed due to systemic Jew hatred. However, I do know when they left. One day when he was 12... Neighbors lined up my grandfather's entire family to see how many Jews a bullet would go through. They were only saved because Cossacks accidentally broke up the impromptu pogrom when they rode through town. My grandfather abandoned religion after that, but I merited to find my way back and bring my entire family back with me. I would never say that my family is from Ukraine because they never exactly wanted us there. Obviously, no one is saying that what happened then reflects on the people who are suffering now. That was many years ago, obviously. But Jews do have this mixed association with Ukraine. And when people say, you know, we are all Ukrainians, we are all from the Ukraine, there might be some problems people would have with that, maybe in the same way that if Germany were being attacked, I don't imagine Jews would say, we are all Germans. Yeah, I mean, uh, that resonates. Uh, Ukraine has a brutal history. I mean, the, 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 the Holocaust of Eastern Europe, of the, the Nazi, the German Holocaust was a very systematic, very organized, uh, industrialized war of, of, of attempting extermination against the Jewish people. Or in Ukraine, it was a Holocaust of bullets, um, which is what it's called, meaning it was man to man. The Jews were murdered by, by, by their neighbors, by their friends, um, by the people who shared, they, 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 they lived in villages with. Um, the, the mass graves throughout the countryside attest to that. Bobby Yar is in the middle of town, in the middle of the city. You know, there's a bike path. They built a bike path right there, one of the darkest, most awful places on, on planet Earth, a, a kingdom of Jew hatred um, for centuries in Ukraine. And that's true. And it's also true that uh, the Menchas was from Ukraine and Maharetz um, Chayis and uh, 
um, the Ketzos HaChoshev and the Malbim and I don't know, and, and, and all the Baal Shem Tov and his students. So it's true that so, for some of us and so many of us, um, the most touching and, and, and sweetest, most powerful and uplifting spiritual moments of our lives take place uh, by the Tzion of the Berdichever, by Rebbe Yitzchak of Berdichever, the great defender of, of Israel, who's buried and lived in, and is buried in, in Ukraine. And um, both of those things are, are very true. So we don't oversimplify, but we do know that we that we that we pray for peace, and we know that we are a nation that um, you know is used to. When, 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 the, when the Gentiles fight, when our host countries fight, when the Goyim fight, we usually wish Hatzlacha to both sides. <laughs> but, you know, we say that tongue-in-cheek, but in all seriousness, you know, when there's an, when there's an aggressor, when there's a, so to speak, a Goliath and a David, when there's a, an aggressor and there's a, so, you know, innocent people who are being persecuted, um, you don't have to be a great geopolitical scientist. We don't have to be historians. We don't have to sit here and analyze. But we could say... Listen, we, we know that there's a complicated past and we know that there's a painful past and we have 2,000 years of a very painful and bloody past and a lot of suffering and, and, and so much Jewish blood. And we, we pray for the day where, where swords will be, you know, uh, worked into plowshares and, 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 and no nation will raise their sword against another. We daven for peace. I mean, this is not complicated. We, we, we pray for peace and we, we, we yearn for peace. And we're not Russians, we're not Ukrainians, we're not Americans. We're, we're, we, we live in these places, we dwell in these places, we sojourn in these places, but uh, we're not native to these places. This is, not, this is not our route, this is not our homeland, this is not, I mean, we, we try to be, you know, we try, we try to be, be, be good boys and girls wherever we are, and play by the rules wherever we are, but it has no place in the world other than there, Israel, that we know. But at the same time, it sounds like you're saying, Rev Judah, that despite the bloody history, as you said, there's a Goliath and there's a David, there's an aggressor, and there is a victim country right now, which effectively did nothing, did not invite this this aggression. For us to say that we may not be Ukrainians, but we certainly side with the Ukrainian side of the ledger is probably, I would think, a correct response. Yeah, I, I think that's, I mean, it seems to make sense, obvious. I mean, this stuff, it, it seems common sense. And, and we daven, and this is what we do when, when, when we were at Yamsov and we were running away and we were fleeing, we didn't have a place to be. We were refugees, so to speak, from Egypt, and and the miracles were open, but there was a real uncertainty, you know, after that exodus, before we crossed the, before we crossed the the city reeds there, before we, we we experienced that that great next stage of salvation at the at the splitting of the sea, so we we cried out, and uh, I think the way it's described by our sages is that we we kind of like we did what our forefathers did, we did what we always did, tough so. Uh, like we, we, we did what we know how to do and we daven, we pray when in doubt we daven and um, and we didn't just daven but we also we also made a move we took action I mean I don't know I, we were talking about this over the weekend in our house here I don't really know what to do I just said I don't, I don't know what to do so let's let's daven and and then we you know made a donation to you know one of the Machna Yisrael Chabad um, you know Ukrainian relief fund um, there's dozens of, of Chabad centers. There's like over 200 shluchim, 200 emissaries of the Chabad movement that are, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an orphanage in Jatomer <laughs> the children, people are in danger. There's ways for us to participate in this in our own way, you know, from our own homes while we're continuing with our own lives, you know, that I think might be a little bit more meaningful than changing your profile to yellow and blue or lighting up a building yellow and blue, but also those things, even external things, that kind of make us sensitize us to human suffering and sensitize us to the reality of a world in exile. 
and to, to make us turn to what we know how to do, which is cry out Hashem and ask for peace. And, and you know, I find it to be, uh, I found it to be meaningful to, to say Tikkun Kalali. Rabbi Nachman prescribed 10, 10 chapters of Tehillim to say Tikkun Kalali, uh, like spiritual penicillin. And uh, Rabbi Nachman said that when, uh, you know, said that when you come to Uman, he specifically wanted to be buried in Uman. Which was a city in a martyr's in a, graveyard. In a martyr's graveyard, exactly. He said, I, I want to be with these people that they shouldn't be forgotten. He was making some fixing there, and I don't know, understand the world of souls, but this our history is tied up, is bound up inextricably with that suffering and with martyrdom. And uh, this is unfortunately a story that we've we've seen before, and, and, and we've known what it is collectively for for the Jewish nation to be uh, for Jews to be in danger. And uh, we cry out Hashem. We, we, we call out Hashem and, uh, and ask Hashem to have rahmanas, to have mercy. And that whatever happens between these nations should be bechesed for the Jewish people. And that, uh, you know, what, what side are we on? I don't know. We're on the side of surviving. We're on the survive of, side of people, innocent people not being killed. Of, 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 we're on the side of, of, of yearning for a world where there's not suffering and senseless violence. And I think, if I can say so, although what you're speaking about now is a type of selfless tefillah, a selfless prayer, important, meaning a prayer for innocent people who are over there, I think people should realize that the situation, chas could spiral out of control. I don't think that's likely to happen, but when you redraw the geopolitical map, when you're dealing with superpowers who have nuclear bombs, there are all sorts of things that can happen. If people have a problem trying to relate to what's happening over there, to realize that it could affect us too. I mean, Rav Judy, you and I are in Eretz Yisrael. Well. Usually doesn't end up well for the Jews. You know, these things usually don't end up well. You know? Well, you know, right now, I know the Israeli government is probably having serious doubts about what exactly to do. They want to condemn the Russians. They have on some level, but the Syrian border is touching Israel and Russia controls Syria for the most part. And it's not so simple to make another enemy there. It's not so simple. No, I mean, more and more, we uh, we, we have to remember that um, we're a nation that dwells alone. And like Shlomo said, that's something which is a little bit sad and, and scary, but also it's a certain something, something meaningful uh, that, that directs our our yearning for safety and for protection and for allies toward, toward Hashem, toward knowing that, I mean, Naftali Bennett offered to mediate between Russia and Ukraine. So Hatzlacha to Naftali Bennett, good for him. Right. And, and good for, and, and all, all together good. If we feel safe in the hands of our government, so I want to meet that person. I would love for them to give me some chizuk and to help me feel safe in the hands of any government here, uh, right, left, or center, or a combination of all of those things. It's 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 God to whom we have to turn, and um, and who is our only salvation. In Amlavadod Yishkon is a is a recognition like this. Said the shifting geopolitics, like what's going to happen, what's going to move, how is this going to spiral, where is this going to go to? I don't know, but we do know that uh, that we could turn to Hashem, and that's what we do in, in in these times. In a time of milchama, we turn to Hashem, and uh, and and that's where we put our hope, and that's where we put our eggs in that basket, so to speak, and. We, we've seen this before in our history. We know what to do. We daven. We call out Hashem. We daven. We give tzedakah. We, we, we do our best to, 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 to make space in our hearts and within our you know, moments of simcha to break a glass and focus on, on what's happening in the world and to be aware and to, you know, to, to I guess, keep track of what's happening. But uh, to remember that, that a yid davens and that a Jew turns their heart and their, uh, and, and toward Hashem. And from there is the Yeshua. Okay, one final question of Judah. And I don't 
think this is necessarily answerable. I don't think we can say this is the message that we're supposed to derive. However, in the words of the Rambam, remez yeshbo, there are messages that we can take out of something even without declaring this is the point. I think saying this is the point is highly arrogant, but saying this is an idea we can derive from this. Is there a message that you see that we can take out of this whole terrible situation that might either give us chizuk or pause, something that we can think about? Uh, I, I know that Reb Nassim, Reb Nassim of Breslov, um, Reb Nachman's primary student, the great davener Reb Nassim, um, said that whenever you hear something, whenever we see something or hear something, you know that there's some internal message that that's directing us toward. If there's a war that we feel like we can't be involved in, I'm not, I don't know, you know, uh, the prime minister is a yid, you know, <laughs> put his family in hiding and went out to take up arms. But that's not, that's not really an option for most of us. I imagine that most of your listeners are not, you know, uh, dropping everything and heading to Ukraine to protect the outskirts of uh, Kiev or Kiev, however right. it's pronounced, depending what side you're on. Um, but Rav Nassim said that when there's a war out there, we can try to, we can try to create peace in here. In other words, to act peacefully in our homes, to, to yearn, to, um, to kind of uh, settle things down on our own borders, karva al nafshi gela, to awaken and, and strengthen possibility of, of peace and redemption within. Meaning, I, I don't know what I could do on the Ukrainian border. I don't know what I could do to protect the city of Kiev, but I do know that um, that, that with the people that I'm surrounded by and that I interact with, there we can we can strive for peace, and there we can strive to act magnanimously and gracefully and peacefully. Uh, those in our immediate sphere. And to have in mind, to have in mind, we believe in the power of thought, to have in mind that that peace should kind of ripple outward toward uh, toward there. It's, it's a little bit deeper than sending good vibes, so to speak, you know, to, mm-hmm. to our brothers in Ukraine, our sisters in Ukraine. But it's it's having kavana to give a little tzedakah and a little extra tefillah, an extra moment by Sim Shalom, asking Hashem to, to grant peace. A little bit, you know, not getting into it with the kids and a little bit holding back from like, you know, speaking back to the person a little bit, I mean, the person who cut you off, like holding back from saying something to try to create peace in our immediate surroundings. And God willing, that peace can, can, um, can, can have a ripple effect and, and create peace in the world. That's what I mean. says. To affect what we can. Rabbi Judah, Michelle, thank you very much for joining me. This is very important. Thank you. Good news. Rabbi Yonah Bookstein, my good friend, thank you once again for joining me on the Orthodox Conundrum Podcast. It's great to see you. Thank you. It's an honor always to be with you. Always a pleasure. Especially when uh, there's so many uh, pressing things to talk about. And uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here. I really appreciate your expertise in this area. You spent years living in Eastern Europe and Poland. Obviously, what's happening in Ukraine now is not Poland, although it does border Poland. I wanted your take as a rabbi, as a spiritual person, as someone whose spiritual advice I seek and respect what do you think we as a Torah community should be doing now about what's going on in Ukraine? I realize that's a fraught question. Am I speaking about davening? Am I speaking about practically? But I'll leave it open to you. What do you say we should be doing right now? Well, what we should be doing is a combination of prayer and action. And neither one on their own is, is sufficient. We have to daven. We have to daven as a community. We have to daven as individuals because there are lives in the balance and there are innocent people who are in harm's way. And it's a country of 40 million people with over 100,000 Jews 
who did not ask for this war and bloodshed. Prayer, though, is not sufficient. We also have to act. And one of the things that we can do, and this is very practical, is by donating to organizations who are providing support for people in Ukraine. Specifically, three come to mind. There are more. Uh, Hatsala has a division, and they are sending supplies and a whole team from Israel to provide first aid and uh, relief. Chabad in Ukraine has a very large network. They're the largest Jewish organization operating in Ukraine, and they're providing untold amounts of support, food, shelter, and supplies to the Jewish community there. And the Joint Distribution Community uh, uh, organization is also very involved in Ukraine and doing important work. And there are others. Uh, that is something that every single Jew anywhere in the world can do and feel like not just that it's not a symbolic act, it's an actual act of helping those in harm's way. And Achenu Kolbi Israel, we have an obligation to help them and support them. And uh, whatever you can give, whether it's $5 or $50,000, to help those people will be a big mitzvah. I want to go back to your first point about tefillah and ask you what specifically we should be davening for. Obviously, for an end to the bloodshed, but is there anything more specific? Because what's going on in Ukraine, we're not talking politics today, but clearly there is an aggressor here. This is not a simple situation of two bad countries fighting each other. Forget the morality of the people. I don't know that's not about it, but the leadership. Putin and Russia invaded Ukraine. That's what it comes down to. What would you say that we should be diving for, given that geopolitical reality? I, I want to uh, step back for one moment. And this is something that stays with me forever. I remember in 1992 when I was volunteering uh, at a summer retreat for Jews who were coming out of the woodwork in Poland. And in, when communism fell in 19 and 1990-91, uh, Jews started coming out of the closet. People were admitting their Jewish roots. It was Shabbos morning, and the uh, Torah portion w uh, was speaking about the horrible, horrible treatment of the Jewish people under Paro in Mitzrayim. And, you know, we read it all the time, and we read it on Pesach, and, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. And one of the Polish gentlemen turned to me and said, we just were freed from Paro. The Soviet Union was a Paro-like servitude for the countries that were under it. It was a forced and horrific occupation. So after the horrors of the Holocaust that those countries endured, and the, of course the Jews who were annihilated, then the countries came under the jurisdiction and the cruel iron fist of the Soviet Union. And when the Soviet Union fell and those countries achieved a level of freedom, uh, they really, it really was a Pesach. It really was a Pesach for them. So I ask all of your, of the listeners today to think about how critical and important that moment is in Jewish history, that we, every single year, we relive that event because it is so critical that for us to remember and never forget that we were slaves 
and Akash Baruch Hu came and and, re, and redeemed us. That same thing happened in the same lifetime of many of the older generations in Ukraine. They remember what it was like to be under Paro's thumb. They remember what it was like to be in the horrific situation that occupation by a foreign country without any any uh, uh, of the freedoms and liberties that, that we take for granted. And that includes the, the right of religious right, education and religious life. Right? Under the Soviet Union, there, was, there were huge controls and limitations on what you could do as a Jew. And, and that impacted all of the spiritual life of everybody in Ukraine under the evils of the Soviet Union. When those tanks rolled across the border, Everybody in Eastern Europe has a, a uh, has PTSD still, and that everybody went right back to this is is happening again. The Soviet Union, albeit today it's called the Russian Federation, and uh, Putin is no different than the evil Stalin in their eyes, uh, who is coming to oppress them and take away their liberty and freedom, their ability to to, to freely practice their religious life, and so forth. So I just wanted to put that out there that for us to really like relate and and to have empathy for the people and what they're experiencing. And I find that that is uh, that helped me in 1992 when I just started my work. It was my second summer in Poland and till today. Now to your question about the spiritual side. So like we approach Pesach right? We need to, I believe, have a similar idea when it comes to Ukraine. We need to call out in prayer and remember that Hashem allows, unfortunately, him, his, his presence to be hidden sometimes and for evil people to rise up. And we don't understand always the reasons behind it, right? What that, that's probably beyond the scope of what we can talk about today. But whenever there's Hester punning, right? whenever Hashem's presence is hidden and evil rises to the surface, it's a reminder that we have to seek God more than ever. We have to support one another. You know, by the Seder, right? You know, you, every, everybody wants to make sure that every other Jew's at a Seder. We're always looking out for the spiritual welfare of others. So now's our opportunity to look out for the spiritual welfare of our brothers and sisters out there. And lastly, it is difficult. I guess this is a spiritual question. It is difficult because we always speak about cursing the, the memory of those who oppressed us. And Chmelnitsky, and the pogromists of the late 1800s and the early 1900s, uh, who overwhelming numbers of whom were in Ukraine. And much more recently, the Ukrainian guards who were at the concentration and death camps and who collaborated with the Nazis, may their memory be obliterated. It's very hard for any Jew to then turn around and say, wow, we're going to daven for Ukraine. Remember what they did to us, you know, back then? No, we don't. We don't forever forget what they did to us back then. But the people that we are davening for today are not the ones who oppressed us. They're not the ones who turned us over to the Nazis. They're not the ones who led pogroms across 
the, the country. And therefore, anytime somebody who is innocent, made in God's image, B'Tselem Elohim, the Ukrainians are as well. We as Jews, we have to have empathy for them because they are being targeted uh, for nothing that they have done. I was going to ask you about that. I wanted to talk to you about our relationship with Ukrainian history and the Ukrainians per se. Earlier today, when I spoke with Rav Judah Michel, he talked about the very mixed history with some amazing Jewish luminaries who are from Ukraine and the horrific Ukrainian attitude towards the Jews for many, many years, just as you mentioned right now. As I said to him then, it's easier perhaps to put in these terms, I think Jews would think twice before saying we are all Germans should Germany be attacked or putting up a German flag simply because of the obvious history. In some ways, Ukraine is much the same. So let me ask you, are you praying for non-Jewish Ukrainians? Absolutely. Uh, I think we have to. The truth is that <laughs> Hashem, uh, you know, again, Hashem created all of us. We're all made B'Tselem Elohim. And uh, a Ukrainian uh, today, 25-year-old Ukrainian who's you know, grabbing a rifle and, and a Molotov cocktail uh, and going to uh, try to stop the invaders of his country is, is somebody who we need to have a lot of uh, admiration for and, and, and daven for that he should be protected in harm's way. He's absolutely, uh, he or she are completely uh, innocent of any of the crimes that their ancestors might have committed. What do you think about rallies and the like? Do you think this is a time for that or really that's not the thing we should do? I'm so happy you brought that up. It is absolutely the time for rallies. Uh, I want to bring forward something, a source an interesting source, uh, and I'm grateful to Rabbi Flug, uh, who pointed this out. Uh, there's a Meshech Chochma uh, that has to do with Hur and Shevet Yehuda. So when the Egel was, was built, right, Hur uh, stood up and he was killed for opposing those building the Egel. Nachshon, he stood up and he said, we have to you know, march into the sea. The, the trait that both of them had was Mesiris Nefesh for Hashem Izbarach. And they were, they were blessed. Hur's descendant, who's, uh, Hur's descendant is Betzalel. So we have to know that uh, Mesiris Nefesh is something which is important for a, a Jew. And there's a bracha in it. And when you take time off your job uh, and you go to a rally, and you stand together with other people and show your support. You are being, you are showing mysterious nefesh, right? Because you are, you are taking time out of your schedule, and your agenda, and putting it for a higher agenda and another agenda. And there is, and there is great brach in that. There's another one, another brach, which anybody who goes to one of these rallies will get if they go as a Jew. And that is Darke Shalom. We want Ukrainians to have good relations with Jews. And there's been an incredible burgeoning relationship between Israel and Ukraine. And there are, you know, multiple flights back and forth, tourism, business. And then, of course, the, the Kivrei Tzadikim that people make. The pilgrimages, yes. Pilgrimages, yes, right. So it is imperative that we have good relations with Ukrainians. And for a Jew to stand up for Ukraine today is something which also they have the brach of Darkei Shalom. They're, they're creating good relations with the non-Jewish world. 
So on both accounts, I think there's great uh, spiritual benefit and an imperative uh, for us to, I'm not saying that you have to start a new organization. There are plenty of people, just go on to, uh, uh, you know, look online, find a rally and uh, and show up and, and take a few hours out of your day for somebody else's life. Of Avram Joshua Heschel of Blessed Memory used to talk about praying with his feet when he went to a rally right. when he go to a march. That's right. That is, it's, it is, it is a, f- a form of praying with your feet. And uh, right, so now you're doing two things. You're being Mesir Snefesh. And you, people think that Mesir Snefesh is something that like is, because uh, most, much Mesir Snefesh is very, very burdensome. Well, Nachshon Ben Aminadav, you made that example. He walked into the sea, he could have drowned or Hor was killed. So yes. Correct. Yes. So we usually associate with that. But it's not black and white. Mesir's Nefesh is not a black one. It's a, it's a, it's, it's on a gradation schedule, right? You can have one degree of it, two degree. So going to rally, is it, are you, are you risking your life? No, uh, but you are taking time away from your agenda. That is Mesir's, that is by definition Mesir's Nefesh. And therefore any Jew who does that will, will receive a bracha of uh, increased wisdom. I know you said before, Raviona, that you don't want to talk about or we don't have time to talk about or we can't talk about the reasons behind it. But I'm going to put you on the spot anyway. I asked Rav Duda the same question. I'm not asking for reasons. I think that would be impossible for us to know. But there's always a message and we try to find ideas that we can derive from it. Not saying this is why it's happening, but this is a thought, an idea, a message that I can take out of the situation, the terrible crisis and war that's going on in Ukraine right now. Is there a message or something that you see in there that our listeners would benefit from hearing? What I have seen is a worldwide outcry against Russian aggression. And that to me is, is what, what allowed me to fall asleep the last few nights. That's the only thing that, that lets me sleep. What do you mean? Is the worldwide outcry. Because the world is tired of war. Full stop. The world is tired of war. We want to solve our differences in different ways. This kind of war and and especially this kind of land war, aggression and invasion should be relegated to the distant dustbin of, of history. It should not be something that we have to deal with today. Uh, the world wants an end to war. And Unfortunately, Putin is counting on that. He's guessing the people don't want to fight him and therefore he'll have little resistance because the West won't fight back. Right. And, and leading up to this, if you looked at my Twitter feed, you'd say, but Yona, it doesn't sound, you know, you're, you don't sound like a pacifist. And the answer is because the way to stop a, a, a bully and an aggressor like Putin is only with force. There's no, you can't appease them. And now again, I will the caveat, force, there's lots of different ways to apply force, but that is the only way to stop uh, his advance. And so I've been advocating for weeks that, uh, that, that the response of the West and specifically NATO be much, much more robust. And I think that you, know, you ask, why does this happen and so forth? I think that, that on a, on a, again, I'm going a little spiritual, on a Hashem level, Hashem's giving us all a chance to demonstrate that we're sick and tired of war. And we need to say that. But on a practical level, we need to push our 
representatives, wherever they are, whether you're in the United, wherever, wherever you live, to provide all the necessary assistance which is possible for Ukraine to repel this attack. And I've put out some, some pretty audacious proposals. You know, I think that they should be bringing the Patriot missiles, which have been put in Poland. Those should be brought over the border into Ukraine. I think that there's a lot of NATO armaments which are there. And, and I, you know, again, people might think this is crazy, but, uh, you know, because apparently the, the Marines are the ones who know how to operate them. I said, great. So find some Ukrainian speaking Marines, right? Hook them up with some Ukrainian soldiers and operate the, the Patriot missile batteries to protect from uh, ballistic missiles and bring that to Ukraine, right? And, and other things like that. Mm -hmm. Now, there are a lot of ways that uh, cre creatively that the United States could, could say, we, we're not involved. Right? And NATO could say we're not involved, right? If they really want to keep holding that line, which, which uh, I, again, I'm not, I'm a rabbi, I'm not a geopolitical strategist, but there are a lot of things that could be done to help. I know that Israeli Ukrainians are traveling to Ukraine to fight for Ukraine. Well, they have a lot of knowledge in how to operate all kinds of systems. Mm -hmm. So I would love to see some coordination so that Israel can provide some sophisticated defensive uh, weaponry to Ukraine operated by Israeli soldiers, uh, but they're working for the Ukrainian army, right? I think there are a lot of really audacious ways that the West can show Putin that this aggression is going to be met with a worldwide condemnation. And because of course you have to be worried about the other Balt the, the Baltic states, right? They are yeah, they're part of NATO and NATO's saber rattling say, you know, we will defend every inch of 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 NATO. You know, we don't um, really know if that's we, true. We don't know if that's true. And we, we don't even know if we want it to be true, because who knows what that could lead to if it could lead to nuclear war. There is the consequences are horrific. Correct. And America and the EU and NATO, we stood by while Russia took over, took apart Ukraine. Uh, with two big chunks, and um, that was a mistake, and we're and this this is the the revach of that mistake. Yeah, well, Rav Yona, you have heard me say this before. It's always enlightening and inspiring to talk to you. So thank you for joining me today. It's an honor, and thank you so much for putting together an episode on this critical issue. And please, God, we can hear an episode uh, in the near future about peace in Ukraine. Subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please visit jewishcoffeehouse.com for other episodes of The Orthodox Conundrum, as well as many other great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Maimonides Minute, Chochmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, and Let My People Eat. I'd appreciate it if you go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Orthodox Conundrum. It takes literally two minutes. It's just giving a certain number of stars and writing one or two sentences. Please like the Orthodox Conundrum podcast on Facebook and join our growing Facebook group, the Orthodox Conundrum Discussion Group, where you can feel free to discuss issues in orthodoxy in an honest and friendly environment. I hope you'll become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast, and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are only available to subscribers, and you'll be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, and honest orthodoxy. Just join Patreon. It's only a couple of dollars a month, and you can stop anytime, so join today. 
Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to promote your business, your organization, or your cause? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffee House can make it happen. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for satisfied clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in one day, or relax and record and let me do the heavy lifting, Jewish Coffeehouse Productions will work with you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let me help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jewishcoffeehouse.com, click on Productions, and sign up for a free consultation. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage an audience now. I'm Scott Kahn. This has been the Orthodox Conundrum on jewishcoffeehouse.com.